I'm Erica Lynn, and we all know the ocean is the most demanding environment on Earth, consistently testing the reliability and durability of our equipment. When you spend as much time fishing as I do, you know that reliable gear is essential for staying on the water. This is why I went with Abyss Battery to power my trolling motor, electronics, and outboard. The guys at Abyss Battery are rattling the saltwater industry by manufacturing performance marine batteries specifically designed for sonar, outboards, trolling motors, and electronic fishing reels. They're also Bluetooth compatible, so I found Checking battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit abyssbattery.com. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the February Room, where we talk shop, tie flies, and share the fishing stories you never heard. I'm Lauren Carnot, your host, and this is the February Room. Presented by CD Fishing USA. Innovative construction equals exceptional performance. Visit cd-fishing.us and follow us on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. And remember to go fishing. Welcome to the February Room. We have a special guest today, Pete Skidmore. Thanks for joining us, Pete. Happy to be here. Yes. Pete, you are a guide outfitter with Rise Outfitters. Yep. Um, How long have you been doing the guide and outfitting? So guiding, I started in 2006, um, and I became an outfitter in 2016. Um, so four years ago, this will be my fourth season as an outfitter, um, but I've been guiding for 14 years now. You know, what's the benefit of being from guide to outfitter? So as a guide, you're really not too engaging with the clientele the way you are as an outfitter. Um, it's, you get a lot, a lot of blind dates, you know, like just random trips. You don't know the people, they don't know you. Um, which can be really good and it can be really frustrating as well. And so all of that time I spent guiding, I was just trying to get to the point where I could build a clientele where it was as if I was just going fishing with friends or family, you know? And it took all of that 10 years, if you will, to to get to the point where I had a clientele base that I felt really proud of and felt connected with. so the enjoyment from guiding and outfitting is completely, it's its completely in relation to your client base in terms of how much you enjoy it or it can be miserable as well if you have bad people. So yeah, so 
being an outfitter is much more rewarding because you actually do have your own clients. You know, it, it's not as many blind dates, which I like. Totally. Yeah. I mean, you get to have or have the narrative of what your day is going to look like yes. as opposed to going out there, like you said, on a blind date. Yep. Yep. And it, yeah, there's a certain amount of confidence that you have as an outfitter that you might not have had as a guide and clients can obviously feed off of that. So as an outfitter, you know, I, I like to guide throughout the state of Montana, you know, I kind of call it travel guiding, you know, like Missouri, Twin Bridges, Missoula, the Kootenai, just going all over the place. And with your own clients that, that know and trust you, that is really easy to do. Whereas if I was working, let's just say for, for an outfitter out or out of a fly shop, you know, I don't have the freedom to tell somebody, hey, want to go you know, up to Libby and up in the Yak and, and fish the Kootenai this summer instead of fishing out of Missoula. And when you've got that trust from your clients, it allows you to go do that. Even if I don't know the Kootenai very well, you know, it's like, but I'm, you know, taking clients that are like friends or family. So they give me the freedom to be the best guide I can be and be happy with not just being on the same stretch of river day after day after day, you know, so. I think that's a really cool part of being an outfitter compared to just being a guide, let's say, out of a fly shop. Well, Pete, we've known each other for 12 years. Mm -hmm. And 12 years ago, you had a, no tattoos. <laughs> and no. now you have tattoo on your skull, yeah. on your hands. I mean, everywhere. pretty much everywhere. Yeah. How did you end up getting that's a, that's tattoo? That's an interesting question. I got into it, one of my... Um, close friends Justin Phipps owns East Main Inc. in Bozeman, Montana and I got introduced to him and he just so happens to love fly fishing and so we hit it off um, he's done every tattoo that I have um, he's a very close friend of mine if anybody's into tattoos go check him out East Main Inc. Bozeman, Montana um, and so we just trade you know he tattoos on me and and uh I take them fishing. Now, it's not easy to find trades when it comes to guiding, you know, um, but this is one that works out great. And so I just got hooked. It, it form of expression makes me feel good. It's kind of an artistic way for me to kind of show little bits and pieces of who I am and, and my life. And so it's something I enjoy. And it's a good connection with somebody that is a good friend of mine, right? So really? it's just like, it's kind of an event, like you, you Getting, Would you ever do a face tattoo? Do not say no. I, I can't do that. I can't pull that off. Or like the neck tattoos. I don't think I can do that. I'm. I'm. I mean, I by no means am, am uh, a tough guy. And I'm not saying that everybody with face tattoos and neck tattoos is a tough guy. But um, I think that's uh, that's something that I just don't think I can pull off. <laughs> I feel like you get like some river creed, you know, like yeah. there's feet, yeah. <laughs> the fish tattoo on his Exactly, face. yeah. I, I, it's, yeah, that's something I just don't think I'm ready for that quite yet. Yeah, not yet. Mm -hmm. So I know, obviously, you've been on the river for so many years, you have got to have some crazy stories. I know that we were talking a little bit earlier about, you know, Justin even said he's like, got to talk to Pete about Vinny and the Lou. Oh, yeah. So let me, I, I'm going to try to um, reach way back in my memory bank for this one. Justin was doing a, a film shoot um, with Vinnie Jones, who is a, is a British actor. And so he was out 
doing a, a film shoot for a for a fishing show, right? And and Justin was filming it, and and Bill was there, and and I was just gonna row the boat, right? I was just gonna row one of the film crews and just you know stay close, watch Vinny Jones, you know, flail away, and 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 hopefully catch a few fish and you know obviously he's got a personality so that's what they were trying to capture too and they were staying down in the Bitterroot um at a really nice place and that morning I think Vinnie Jones was was with kind of the head honchos of the crew you know having breakfast right in like the lodge or something and Justin and I show up and we pull up into the the place Vinnie was staying at and he's obviously in a different building having you know breakfast and i'm like dude i i got a bro like i i can't hold on to this dude and he's like oh dude just go into you know vinny's place and i was like okay cool like not, didn't think anything about it and so i go in and i just so happened to pick his personal bathroom in his room um and I proceeded to just blow it out. I mean, it was it was it was terrible. I, it, you could there wasn't any like potpourri to like spray around and cover it up or like light a match or something. There was nothing. And I didn't think too much about it. I was like, oh, no big deal, dude. You know, crack a window. Um, and <laughs> so we just go about our business. And then you know, before we get started with the film shoot, Vinny Jones is just like, who the f- in my bathroom? And and I, Justin and I are like, uh oh, dude. And so he he kind of lays into me, like, and I think it was it was partially that he was just joking and, and feeding off of, of how funny the situation actually was. But he was like, what, what do you think you're doing in my bathroom? Like, I'm Vinny Jones. You're some weird looking hippie kid that's rowing the the film crew boat. Like, what what right do you have to? my bathroom i'm a movie star you know and i'm just like sorry dude i i had to go you know he was just kind of making fun of me but at the same time like i think he gave me a little bit of respect like dude this kid just in a movie star's toilet and did not care like had no clue dude (laughs) i was like you know i felt kind of like oh i think he gave me some props for that in a weird way (laughs) there's two things i don't think we've ever had someone who's um a bathroom story on this podcast yet so you're the first on that one groundbreaking second of all like when you when you leave this earth people will laugh about the story about the day pete skidmore took a big old oh yeah the no, I, well, Jones. it's kind of, it's interesting. I was just listening to a Joe Rogan podcast with Chris D'Elia, the comedian yesterday. And, uh, I think they spent about an hour on their pants stories, you know? So I, at least I made it to the toilet. Right. So we I'm, can all laugh at ourselves when it comes to pooping your pants or pooping in your waders or pooping in your waders <laughs> or pooping in Vinnie Jones's Toilet. I should have given him an upper decker. I mean, that would have really gone over well. Um, did you always grow up fly fishing? Like, how did you mm-hmm. start? So I started, uh, my dad and I got started together. He had a little bit of experience, not much. I was seven years old. Um, and I grew up in the Bay Area. And so we spent most of our time fishing up around Tahoe um, on the Little Truckee, the Big Truckee Rivers. Um, going up towards Redding and fishing a lot of the water up there, Trinity for Steelhead, Hat Creek, um, the Pit, um, just a, a few of my favorites up there. A lot of, you know, the, the Fall River is amazing. Um, but uh, yeah, I just, 
I just gravitated towards it. It was, you know, something that um, was a little bit of a switch up to the rest of my life, being really involved in sports, you know, um, throughout my childhood and that intensity and that competition, you know, that was constantly going on year round, you know, playing baseball, basketball, soccer. And, uh, and there was a certain amount of intensity and, and, um, and competition, like I said, that, that was involved with that. And when I went fishing, that all kind of went away. Like I didn't, I wasn't competing against somebody. I, that, that seriousness and that intensity was gone. The fly fishing allows you to just quiet your thoughts, slow down, take a deep breath, relax and enjoy it, you know? Do you have like one of those kind of like special memories from fishing? You know, as, as a kid, um, I remember some pretty special memories going out with buddies um, in the Napa River, which is the town that I grew up in, and striper fishing. And that was later on in, in my life. You know, I was a teenager, but it wasn't when I was a little kid. We never fished around my hometown other than like some bass ponds, you know, um, which was really cool too. But one memory I have is, is a couple buddies and I in his little John boat just putting around the, the Napa River fishing for stripers and just kind of blowing my mind. I didn't know that that existed until, you know, I was in high school. Um, and so that is a memory, a fond memory I have of, you know, going out in the boat, drinking beer as teenagers, you know, smoking a little weed and, and uh, fishing for striped bass. It was like, I can't believe this has been right under my nose this whole time and I've never fished for these fish in this river that I always thought was just kind of dirty, you know, and it didn't appeal to me because it wasn't this mountain stream with crystal clear water and trout. That's a, that's a fond memory I have. Another one was, you know, along those same lines growing up, some buddies and I would take float tubes up to this reservoir, uh, which was completely illegal. We never got caught, thank goodness. After, uh, 9-11, they got a little bit more serious if you were trespassing on, you know, your your county's water source, drink for drinking water, you know? So we'd hike up this steep hill um, to get to this reservoir uh, and, you know, climb the fence, throw our float tubes over. And we were using spin gear mostly on, on that reservoir and just catching some incredible smallmouth bass. That was another experience that I'll never forget, you know, just another thing that just kind of, wow, this has been in my backyard this whole time and I'm just finding it out right now. And and I think it showed me like this diversity of, of fishing. Um, it's not just about fly fishing for trout, you know, it, it's fishing, whether it's spin gear or fly gear, um, gives, I think, all of us a similar pleasure you know it, it you shouldn't judge somebody on on how they fish or what they fish for what species you know it's do you feel like kind of like with your outfitting as an outfitter you trying to bring that same experience of like you don't even know what's in this backyard like let me take you outside definitely of these areas yeah i think that's exactly it i think that's a good point i don't think i've even really recognized that until you said it but maybe that you know part of my adventurous mindset with my outfitting business comes from you know kind of getting 
um, blown away by fishing to th you know places I didn't know existed and, and to species of fish that I never really had much interest in you know um, and so yeah I think that, that does trickle down through my outfitting and, and I think my clients can probably sense that you know that hey let's go roll the dice you know like I don't know what we're gonna find in that stretch of river today but and I haven't been there in a year but if you're cool with me taking you there let's do it so you just make the best of it you know yeah i think i hear the saying from guides and outfitters that you can't control the fishing but you can control the food and the experience if you don't have that you're if you're not a you know a, a well-balanced fishing guide is the way i like to describe it then you're gonna you're gonna have a lot more tough days than good days but if you if you can teach, if you can have a good sense of humor, if you can listen and, and speak to people correctly, um, a lot of this is just being a really good bullshit too. I mean, as a fishing guy, you better be able to bullshit. Um, and even if they know you're full of shit, you just stick with it and keep going with it and have the confidence to believe in yourself because some, some people when they're in the boat and, and the day, you know, and they're paying for a guided trip and the fishing ain't that good, they can be a little difficult to deal with. You know, um, a lot of these people are people that expect great days every day when they go fish, you know, um, and that's not what we guarantee as fishing guides. Like, I'm not going to guarantee you that you're going to catch more fish today than you did last year. And so I think managing people's expectations is really, really important. And that's another part of just the honesty of being like, you know, hey, we're going to go fish. We're going to do the best we can. But, you know, I can't promise anything. And I think teaching people how to have some accountability for their own skill set and their own attitude is important. Like if somebody's got a poor attitude as a fishing guide or an outfitter in the boat that's your workspace and they're they are your guest um but you need to own that workspace and i think it's important not to let a paying customer disrespect you as, as a fishing guide or outfitter i think you it's really important to stand up for yourself and for lack of a better way to put it i mean tell somebody to screw off sometimes and be like you, you need to change your attitude like you need we're gonna have fun today and if you don't change your attitude we're not going to have you had that happen before? oh definitely i think all outfitters and guides have had people in the boat that uh had a poor attitude or really unrealistic expectations and an example of that i do and it, it this is how bad this guy was it i was on um a two-boat trip with one of my best buddies over on the missouri and it was a couple, can't remember what, I think they were from New York State. And they were clients of mine that I'd fished with for a few seasons. And they invited some friends um, of theirs, another couple. It was me and one of my really close friends. And I had the folks that I'd fished with. And he had the folks that, that were new on this trip. The husband in my buddy's boat Long story short, you, you could you could sense that the guy was an really early on, given his opinions on what we should do, 
speaking out of turn. You know, he he didn't know what he was talking about. He didn't he didn't just give himself to the guiding experience. He was like he wanted to dictate everything that was going on. Well, it was in August, and we were hopper fishing on the Lower Missouri, and my buddy was in front of us, and we're having a good day with the folks that I had, and and. You know, the fishing wasn't great, but everybody bought into it eventually. You know, the guy, my boat kind of was like, dude, let's just go try this, right? We've got two days on this trip. If you need to go use a bobber and catch some fish tomorrow, we can do that. But let's go try to dry fly fish. Let's go try to grasshopper fish. So they're in front of us. And I look, I, I, I'm scanning downstream and I see my buddies pulled over on, on the bank and he's standing up in the boat and it looks like they're having a pretty heated conversation he and this this guy um and i said okay i better i I better go check this out you know and i pull up and they're i mean they're at each other's throats almost my my buddy's trying to be as respectful as possible but this guy was just a world class i started chiming in too just letting this guy know like hey this day can be over right now you know, we can row you to the boat ramp and see see you later. Like, never want to see you again. He and I were not outfitters at this time. We were working for another outfitter, but that outfitter, I think, definitely trusted our judgment, you know, and wouldn't want us to be getting disrespected like that. What was he upset about? He he didn't think that the fishing was good enough. He And this was like an hour into the day. Um, and really... I think the moral of this story was just somebody with completely unrealistic expectations and just felt like if they're paying for a guided fishing trip, then that guide's job is to deliver fish to that person's fly rod. And that's not the right attitude. And that that just kind of showed me exactly the type of client that I never wanted to fish with, ever. We got through the day, but Needless to say, we did not invite them back. But one thing I will say is that I feel completely blessed to have the clientele that I have. I've got incredible clients, like people that are just genuinely good people. Um, I don't care about skill level a whole lot. I don't care if you can fish better than the next guy. As long as you've got a good attitude and you want to learn and, and have fun out there, I can work with you. It might sound a little cheesy, I don't mean it to, but um, I think that there is truly something to be said about some type of positive energy that you can give through the fly rod, through the line, to the fly. And if you're presenting that with a good positive attitude and really enjoying just the act of fly fishing, I swear you're going to be more successful. They can, fish can sense that, or something just isn't right, you know, like, and, and uh, so yeah, I think that there's something to be said about, like, if you got a good attitude and you might not have the best skill set, I think the fish bite better, you know, like, if you got a bad attitude, fish don't bite good, in my opinion. I love the idea of, like, the energy from the rod yep. to the line, to the fish, yeah. and it makes it that much more special when the fish comes in and you get to hold it and even for me i'm not all about size i'm just like well i did that you sure. know i'm the one that caught it and i set the hook right and you know and it makes it a lot more special it doesn't take a bunch of fish 
to really enjoy certain parts of your day out there. And there's a certain intensity that's too much, at least in my boat. You need to like breathe and relax a little bit. I've got some clients that I love fishing with from Seattle, for instance, that I require them to drink a kokanee beer before we get on the river. I'm like, both of you, I wanna see it go down the hatch right now. Like, just so they chill out, you know, cause they're so amped, they're so excited. And I'm like, okay, dude, if I don't see you drink that beer, we're not getting in the boat. They chug it and then boom, they're actually casting pretty good. You know, whereas before they're just so tight and freaking out and it's like, dude, are you breathing? Like deep breath, bro. Like, like let's, let's get that beer into you so you chill a little bit, man. We're not in the city anymore, like chill. You know, I always question, cause you're always on the river, you're guiding and especially in the summertime, it's 24 seven. I don't yes. think you have a day off. How do you balance that to go want to go fishing more on your own? That's a great question. I don't think I don't think most of us have figured that out. I think that's a constant kind of battle that we face as fishing guides. Um, it's one thing to be like, oh cool, I'm gonna go spend two weeks in the Florida Keys, like you know, permit fishing, because it's you're mixing it up. But as a trout guide, getting pumped up about going fishing on your own during the summer, let's say when you're working every day, that's not easy. And I'd be lying if I said that I've figured it out. I'm super passionate about fly fishing. I love it. But I'll be honest with you, if I've guided 20 days in a row um, and I get a day off, I'm gonna listen to a baseball game and do some yard work, you know, and just chill. It's a lot easier when you're not grinding it out. And that's why I think all of us guides try to find this, um, this balance on like, how many days can you handle during the course of a guide season? If your number's 175, good for you. I mean, I, I used to do about that on close to that um, on the Missouri for years and I got burnt out. That number wasn't realistic for me anymore. So, or if your number's 100, if you wanna guide 100 days and that's it, if you wanna guide 75 days and that's it, you gotta kinda know your number so that you don't lose the passion for going fishing and enjoying it yourself. So we'll end this interview. Where are you be going fishing next? So my girlfriend and I are going to be going to the Lower Clark Fork, um, I think on Monday. Yeah, I mean, right now with this social distancing, we're, we're super blessed to be in Montana and to be able to recreate responsibly right now. Um, and so, yeah, I feel totally safe going out with, with my girlfriend who I live with. So it's like, she and I are the only ones exposed to each other typically on a daily basis. But you know what? Floating the river with her and my dog right now is important because we're all going a little stir crazy and, and it's important to get out on the water, be safe and responsible right now. But uh, yeah, Lower Clark Fork is where I love this time of year. Well, I know that that mojo that you were talking about, I have a feeling you're gonna be catching some monster fish. Thank you. So, but thank you so much for talking to my me. My pleasure. Maybe we'll see you on the river soon. Cool.
Check out one of our favorite dry flies for fishing the Clark Fork on our blog, cd-fishing.us. And remember to go fishing. <laughs>